Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Amen. I add my thank you, moms, for all that you do that often goes unseen. I want to encourage you, church, um, this time that we're in um, is drawing to a close. We have reason to believe, as I met online with uh, some of our governing officials here in L.A. County, that we're, we're on the downside. We're heading towards the end of this shelter-in-place order, so please be patient. Uh, to that end, I would also share with you, if you're watching on live stream right now, you'll notice that as you look to the main Calvary Chapel South Bay live stream page, you'll see Thursday nights there. Um, I spent a very large part of our time for our National Day of Prayer by way of introduction in a study that explains why we here at Calvary Chapel South Bay are doing what we're doing and continuing to follow the governor's orders to to shelter in place and to not yet meet. And I know there are people who disagree with my assessment, but I use the Bible to prove my case. And I want to strongly encourage you to share that link with your friends. Uh, If you wonder, because I know we only had only, we had a few thousand people join us online on Thursday night. There are many, many thousands more that watch us here on Sunday morning. Um, so please go to ccsouthbay.org forward slash live stream. Go to last Thursday night study, and I'll give you the reasoning behind why we are going to continue to follow these orders as we look forward to the end of this, which is coming soon, uh, I do believe. And so thank you for your patience. Continue to be so. Remember, patience, when it has its perfect work, leaves you complete, lacking nothing. So Uh, As we get close to the end of this, we'll be making announcements on how we're going to come back together, what that looks like, and so uh, look forward to that day when we get to make that announcement. In the meantime, let's do what we always do here. Uh, Let's turn our Bibles to Luke's Gospel, to chapter 7, as we begin uh, a new chapter here. Luke chapter 7, faith at work, or faith that works, working faith, and we see first this centurion servant. There are two very beautiful pictures that we're going to see here in Luke's gospel here in chapter 7 as we take time to study through verse 17 today. Um, But we're going to look at two life and death circumstances. That would be very important for us right now. It would be extremely important for us to understand uh, that God has life and death under control. Amen? And so as we begin this time together, sometimes we're often faced with the question, well, what would Jesus do? That is certainly the case now as we try and figure out how to respond to some of the things that we're being asked to do as the government has asked us to continue a shelter in place, but releasing some of these restrictions. It does matter what we do, as we saw last time. And now Jesus is going to show us how to model and how to do the things that he's asked us to do as Luke has concluded uh, his abbreviated version of both the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount itself. We finished that last time. And so would you join me? We'll pray and we'll ask the Lord to bless our time here in the Word. Father, we thank you 
for the power of the word. And we ask that you would continue to strengthen us to hear it, receive it with gladness, and to act on it, that we would, as you, Jesus, did, as you spoke forth the word, you then lived out what you yourself spoke. Pray that we would have the boldness to do that as well. And so bless us as we study. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Luke 7. And now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And so Jesus is now leaving this small mountaintop, which is adjacent to the city of Tabka, which is right next to the little town of Capernaum, which is now the hometown of Jesus or Capernaum uh, in English transliterated. And so it is important for us to realize Jesus didn't go like 40 or 50 miles. He, he just simply walked uh, a very tiny distance, about two miles in total from this mountain on which he delivers the Sermon on the Mount called the Mount of Beatitudes. If you go, there is a church uh, on the top of it, a little series of gardens, all those kind of things. But what we have in essence is now Jesus moving back to his hometown. And so he's going to now take up residence in the same town that Peter's in. And as he does so, uh, it is important also for us to realize that even though Luke abbreviates the Sermon on the Mount and he abbreviates the Beatitudes, they're the shortest versions of all the gospel authors, he does elaborate on how Jesus lives these things out more than anyone else. So we are now going to enter a period of time where we look at 19 parables and stories that are not recorded in any of the other gospels. You would expect that. These are the doctor's records. He's writing down the very specific things that he himself remembered and saw. He's gonna see the healing of the nobleman's son. He's gonna see this demoniac that's in the synagogue He's going to see Peter's mother-in-law healed, a woman that has a constant hemorrhage. He's going to see Jairus's daughter raised. Luke records all of these things. And so Luke is being very specific about how Jesus lives these things out. And so he now goes to Peter's mother-in-law's home, the place that he's taken up residence. And it is there that Matthew has his tax station. And so Luke now begins to record in verse 2, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him. A centurion was the captain of a hundred. Very high prominent official in the Roman army. We would look at it much like a drill instructor leading a platoon today but very well respected. They were like the highest non-commissioned officer. They would be someone who really governed the troops themselves. Not looking at a large mass of men, not, not taking you know, a, a cohort, which could be a much larger, but just simply this singular group and this centurion has a servant, very common. And that servant was very dear to the centurion. He was sick and ready to die. And so this is obviously a life or death situation. And when he'd heard about Jesus, he sent orders to the elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. But when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, the one that for whom he should do this was deserving. In other words, they're saying, 
our servant's a good guy. Our, our master's a good guy. These are great people. For he loves our nation. So this is a man who's a Roman who has a tremendously wonderful reputation in the Jewish community. Notice, and has built us a synagogue. So these are Jewish men making a wonderful testimony about a Roman soldier, one charged with keeping the laws of Rome and, in essence, keeping them under subjugation. But he did it in such a way that even the Jewish people took note, and he actually did some great things for his community. And then Jesus went to them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. The centurion understood exactly who he was and how unworthy he was that the Lord would even consider him. And that's me, that's you, that's us. We're all unworthy, but praise God, because the grace of God is a gift. It's not about our worthiness, it's about his worthiness. He is the worthy king. And he comes to all who call upon the name of the Lord. He doesn't forsake anyone who will simply ask. And so that distance traveled was nothing to Jesus. And therefore, I did not even, the centurion goes on to say, think myself worthy to come to you. I, I, I wouldn't have done that. But I say the word, and my servant will be healed. This church is faith in action, and I believe this is a very important message for us right now. Our faith has been tested during this pandemic. We've been tested severely about, do we actually believe what we say we believe? Is God in control or is God not in control? And I declare to you, God is fully still in control. He's lost nothing. He still continues to be who he's always been. And he has this pandemic fully in view. Just as he had the servant of this wonderful centurion man, this man who was an official in the Roman army, he had that man fully under control as well. And that man believed this. Notice what he says. And my servant will be healed. Not, well, I'll wait around and see. Not if you give me proof beforehand, will I believe you? This man is acting on his faith. This is the faith that works. For I also am a man placed under authority. He's talking about his own subjection to his superior officers, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So we meet this centurion. And interestingly enough, the centurions were kind of the, the heart, if you will, of the Roman army. They were the captains of a hundred that reached the real life of the troops. They were the ones that had the greatest impact. They were the ones that really instructed them in battlefield technology, uh, using their catapults and ramming devices and swords and instructed them how to win at war, in essence. 
And so in that sense, they were very practical. You might expect that a very practical person would have little or no faith. But it just goes to show you that practical people can also be faith-filled people. Reasonable people can be faith-filled people. People who are intelligent, people who are charged with the care of others can still be people of faith. And that was this man. And he was attracted, I believe, to the high moral quality of the Jewish faith. When I look at what this is really presenting to us, it's a picture of this wonderful place that the Jewish people had begun, but they had kind of left. They had a standard like no one else's standard for their living, for their lives, for their morality, for the way they viewed their fellow man and for the way they viewed God. And so this centurion was attracted to that. And because he was attracted to that, God revealed himself to the centurion, just as God revealed himself to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Rahab. As he'd done throughout the Old Testament period, God is a revealing God. He is able to reveal himself to anyone who shows that he has faith, she has faith, and wants to know who God is. God will reveal himself to you. You see, the Romans didn't want to submit to the Jewish laws per se, but he could understand that there was a difference between them and him. And he knew something was lacking. And so very often, that is our testimony in this world. People can see your life and say, there's something different about you. Can you tell me what it is? That centurion's faith was visible to his servant. And that centurion's faith was visible to his community. And I ask you, is your faith visible to those around you? Can people see your faith? Or are you in that group of people who are completely freaking out right now? And if we don't end this lockdown tomorrow, I'm going to go berserk. But God has sustained us thus far. And God will continue to sustain us. And it is God alone who has life and death in his hands. Notice how this man responds as the Savior comes to the sufferer. You see, that's what's going on here. You see, this suffering centurion and his servant are meeting Jesus because Jesus is coming to them, and he'll come to you. Throughout all of Scripture, we have this picture of these men who are high in character, high in virtue, Verse 9, notice what it says, and when Jesus heard these things. You see, what he's already said is, he says, look, I'm a soldier under authority and trusted with authority is the way you can look at it. He has power in the centurion. The centurion has power in his own words. But notice how Jesus responds to that because he sees beyond the words. He sees beyond the things that this man is and has beyond his possessions and his position, and he sees the heart of the man. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd, now imagine, here comes Jesus. He's come from the Sermon on the Mount. Part of the crowd is following him. Some of the disciples, they're they're in this little parade. They're walking. And Jesus turns around and looks behind him. He says, you know what? 
I say to you, I've never found such great faith, not in all of Israel. Think about it. This man is a Roman, but he has great faith. Do you have great faith today, church? Are you able to trust God in this time? Are you able to lean in on God? Do you believe him for his promises? I want to encourage you. He is faithful who calls you. He will deliver us. And more importantly, what's in view in this particular passage and the one that follows it, we'll get to in a moment, is that Jesus himself even has control over life and death. God alone controls that. You know, you might be thinking, and rightly so. Look, people are looking at this this virus from a multitude of positions. Some people are wandering around, and I believe wrongly so, saying it's a hoax. It's not a hoax. Tens of thousands of people have died. This is a conspiracy theory. Whether it is or it isn't doesn't change the fact that it's not a hoax. That it's doing this or doing that. Those things may be true or may not be true. But I can tell you what is true. Death. And life. And we live with our first breath. Between our first breath and our last breath, we are living on our way to a time that's been appointed to every last one of us Everyone listening right now, everyone watching online, each of you, let me tell you, in case you didn't get it, give you a newsflash, someday you're going to die. Or you're going to be raptured. It's the only two options. Everyone dies. Now, it certainly doesn't make the pain of death easy to deal with. But in this man's assessment of who Jesus is, verse 10, it tells us, they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Can I tell you what Jesus didn't do? He didn't send Dr. Luke to heal him. Jesus didn't send any medication. He didn't grab some herbs from alongside the road put him in some kind of pestle and mash them together and say, give him this. He didn't give him a long list of things that if he finally does them, takes enough vitamin C and enough vitamin D. If he gets out in the sun more that he's going to live on the faith of the centurion, Jesus simply healed the servant. God can do that with anything. He can do that with a virus called COVID-19. He can do that with cancer. He can do that with your heart disease. He can do that to our nation as a whole. But we have to have faith to receive that from the Lord. We will never get with the arm of flesh what God wants to do through faith. We have to have faith. We have to act on that faith. We have to not only believe it, but we need to receive it and act on it as if it were true. No distance of travel could hinder Jesus from coming. And no disease was strong enough to keep him from healing. 
Remember that, church. So what's in view here, this difficult question of death? Look, grief is real. Suffering is real. Death is real. But can I tell you, death is also not the end? And people ask me all the time, is death the end? No, it's not the end. It's not the end for a believer, and it's not the end for an unbeliever, unfortunately. If you don't know Christ today, death is not the end. Let me remind you that eternity is for everyone. It's only a matter of where you're going to spend it, who you'll spend it with. So though we will all die, all of us will also exist somewhere in eternity. That's why Jesus says, look, why are you concerning yourself with death? Because it's not really a matter of death, physical death. It's a matter of spiritual death. Are you going to taste that second death that the author John writes about in Revelation chapter 20? Are you going to be judged in Christ or by Christ because you didn't know him? That's the question. For the church, unless we're raptured, we're all also going to die. You know, people sometimes think, well, if I become a Christian, maybe I won't die. (laughs) I haven't found that verse yet. Matter of fact, all of the apostles died tremendously horrible deaths. You may die a horrible death, but there's good news. We should be reminded of that good news. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, now this I say, brethren, verse 50, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The truth is the body that you live in, the body that I live in, the body that we all live in cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It was not made for there, it was made for here. It's suited for here. It responds to gravity, it responds to the temperature range that we have on this planet. It's not made for heaven. And so actually death is a release from these mortal bodies in that sense. So that we're actually prepared to go where we're supposed to be for eternity. Don't cling to these bodies too hard. You know, sometimes people pray for, you know, I want to live to be 120. Why? Why would you want to do that? Now, if you're preaching the gospel the whole time, maybe your family is all very aged people and you want to stay with them. I I suppose I understand that reasoning. But from an eternal perspective, Lord Jesus, take me home. I want to go home. Not in a morbid way. I just can't wait to see heaven because this earth isn't my home. Paul would go on to write, nor does corruption inherit incorruption, But behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Look, you're you're going to get a body swap someday. Your spirit's going to leave this tent, as Paul calls it there in 2 Corinthians 5. Your spirit's going to exit, and it's going to dwell somewhere. He goes on to tell us in the rest of this passage, and by the time... You get down to these beautiful verses, verse 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? You see, that's the problem. In verse 54, it says, look, death is swallowed up in victory. When Christ died on, the, on Calvary's cross, he defeated death itself. And so we who live, live in him. We now have eternal 
life in him. And that's not just long, long, long life. That's the right kind of life in eternity. And so this centurion was testing the quality of eternal life with his faith. He's saying, Lord, I believe. That's where we need to be right now. Instead of focusing on the temporal, we need to be focusing on the eternal. And so Paul would write there in verse 56, 55 and 50, death, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? Look, the grave, as David rightly said, cannot hold the believer. It's not where you're going to spend eternity as a believer, but you will be there as an unbeliever. And so if you have saving faith, you get to skip that part. And to be absent from the body, Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. So church, for the sting of death is sin. You see, when you are freed from the bondage of sin, the sting of death is no longer a sting. The strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, verse 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Look, when I check out, if I die from COVID-19 or I die from some other cause or I'm run over by a bus or I fall out of a plane, whatever happens to you, one day I'm stepping out of this period that we call time and I'm stepping into eternity and there is way better than here. So we have to get that part right. Yes, it's tough, but death itself was no match for Jesus. Look at the next little vignette here, verse 11, back in chapter 7 of Luke's gospel. And now it happened the day after. So this is the next day. Jesus comes down from the mountain. He's taking his little walk with the disciples. They're heading. They look down the hill. They look to their left. There's Tabka, and they look a little further to their left. And there is Capernaum. And they look a little further left of that, and that's where the Jordan River enters the Sea of Galilee. And so there's this beautiful picture. He's looking down the lake, this lake that's 13 miles long, uh, roughly seven miles wide. And he's going, man, it's a great day. And before he ever gets to the centurion's house, the servant is healed. But he continues on his journey. And instead of going back to Capernaum, the next day, he went to a city called Nain. Now, Nain, interestingly enough, is right next to a city called Indor, and we'll get there because you know that city if you're a student of your Bible. And many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. So Jesus is kind of like taking this traveling show, if you want to look at it that way, this beautiful picture of faith at work, faith that works. He's taking it from town to town to town. He's saying, look, I can do these things. This is who I am. I want you to trust in what I say. And so these authenticating miracles that Jesus does is for the purpose of instilling faith, not just simply to heal people, not simply to feed people, but to cause them to know that he is God. And that's why God still does these things in our world today. He's saying, look, you can trust me with your health. Now, you may not get exactly what you ask for, but you can trust me 
that I've got this under control. Many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. And when he came near to the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. It gets better. You had a sick man just get well. Now you've got a dead man. What's Jesus going to do with a dead guy? The only son of his mother. Probably some of you moms are asking, man, why did he choose this passage for Mother's Day? I, I didn't. This is the next passage in Luke's gospel, and we're covering it on Mother's Day. Moms, imagine this. This is your only son. Your only son is being carried out on a wooden briar. He's gone. The only son of his mother. And on top of that, it gets worse. She's already a widow. Her husband's gone. Now her only son is gone. Being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she's a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Notice what is said first. He doesn't say like he does to the Pharisees or to the disciples at times, oh, ye of little faith. He has compassion. This woman has a right to be grieved. She's not crying for nothing. She has no idea what life's going to bring her. But she meets Jesus. Church, are you hanging out with Jesus today? Is he that big in your life? Are you able to say, If something like this happened to you, you know in whom you have believed that he is able. Can you say that today? To keep them, to keep us, to keep that which he has committed unto the day of Christ Jesus. Are you trusting Christ for your eternity? That's the question. It's the question posed here, really, in Jesus' words. He had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. You see, his ways are infinitely higher than our ways. We cannot know them ultimately. I don't have an answer. Sometimes people will say, well, why did my son die? Why was my wife taken? Why, 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 why do I have cancer? Why did this disease come? Why are we struggling to make ends meet? We ask a lot of why questions, and they're valid questions, but they're also not really the right question. The right question is what? Is what is the master going to do with your problem? My problem, the church's problem, the nation's problem, the state's problem, the world's problem. What is the master going to do with these problems? That's the question. In this case, her son is dead. He's gone. Most people look at that, rightly so, as being final. And he says, do not weep. weep." And then he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, man, his looks so good. No, this is what Jesus said. Wow, how long has he been dead? That isn't what Jesus said. 
Why are you guys carrying around this? How come you're doing this? Don't you know? Jesus doesn't condemn them. Jesus doesn't pick on them. Jesus doesn't overstate or understate the case. He told the mom, do not weep, because he knew exactly what he was going to do. Walks over to the coffin and says, young man, I say to you, arise. Now, this gets a little creepy here for some of you. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Now, I'm pretty sure there were a few people who was like, whoa, what? And I'm sure there were a few conspiracy theorists, just like we have running around today. Oh, maybe he wasn't really dead. You know, maybe he was just, you know, he was in a coma. Somebody gave him some kind of drug, and he just looked like he was passed out, and we mistakenly took it for being dead. Maybe the coronavirus was sent here as a plot to try and wipe out our economy. You see what I'm getting at? Sometimes we just need to get back to Jesus, church. Who is Jesus to you? Can he raise the dead? Can he fix your family's finances, even though they look irreparably harmed by this thing? Can he get us back in this building to meet again as a church sooner rather than later? Is he able to find a cure to this disease that we're faced with? Can someday we not go to Home Depot and need a mask? Will there ever be baseball again? Will the Dodgers get to play? Will the Lakers and the Clippers get to duel it out for the championship? Some of you are probably thinking many of these things like, man, we're going to die. No, we're not. Because our king still reigns. And he is able to deliver to the uttermost them that are his. And so don't give up. Hang in there. This was a desperate situation that looked like it had no answer. And yet it had a wonderful answer. And then fear came upon them all. Not the type of fear you would think. It's like, oh my. Who is this that can raise the dead? And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us. Now they didn't get the whole picture. They're still thinking Jesus is just a prophet. Then they said, God has visited his people. That's true. That's how John's gospel begins, amen? In the beginning was God. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's who was there. It was God. And this report about him went throughout all of Judea and the surrounding regions. You see, it looked like this was not going to have a good end. But that's only if you leave Jesus out of the equation. It looked like this was a terminal case, but that's only if you leave Jesus out of the equation. It looked like there could be nothing good that could ever come from this, but that's only if you leave the Lord Jesus out of the equation. You see, when you plug Jesus into every equation, there is an answer. 
there is a way of escape. Look, the cemetery was there. Indoor, this place that Saul talked to a medium was there. People could have gone another way. You see, they, they could have tried communicating with the dead. Maybe they could have tried to raise this guy themselves. Maybe somebody could have held a, a seance, kind of as First Samuel presents this picture of Saul trying to do. He went instead of to the gates of heaven, he went to the gates of hell and he said, look, I'll just see if I can you know, get some psychic to tell me what's happening here. Church, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. We don't need to communicate with the dead. We don't need to seek a spirit medium. We don't need to look at our horoscope. We don't need to watch some dumb show on TV about people running around, seeing if they can find spirits in people's basements. We need to look in our Bibles for the Lord of hosts, for the King of kings, for the Savior of the world. We need to act in obedience to what the word says. They'd already been told, don't do what Saul ended up doing. Now, I think the town of Endor, and that's not the moon in the Star Wars series, that's the town of Endor that's just up the canyon from this little hamlet of Nain. It's on the way to Jesus's hometown of Nazareth. You see, people could have looked at this situation and said, man, let's go over to Endor and see if there's still some witches there. Let's go see if we can find out a flesh cure to this death. There's no flesh cure to death, but there is a spiritual cure to death and it's called a second birth. It's being born again. The very thing that Jesus told Nicodemus is the only thing that saves ultimately because all of us are going to die one day. But what Jesus said in, in that situation is, yeah, but wait a second, hang on. Because ultimately, even that physical death, Jesus has control of. He knows exactly what to do in that moment when you take your last breath. And so he doesn't want you trying to communicate your way out of it in this world. He wants you to have faith that works in that sense. Look, I, I got to admit, I, I've got a little bit of rapturitis going on myself. Pastor Rob and I, and Connie and I have been talking, man, this is like, let's, let's go home. I've had this bizarre, you know, kind of hankering for heaven. It's like, Lord, if you're done, come get us, okay? That would be great. But I've had that chronic disease for a while. I've wanted to go home to see my Savior for a long time. But there are a lot of people that don't know Jesus. And so I'm very content to stay here and we keep battling this battle. We keep fighting this fight because the Lord has a plan to use us in these last days. Look, I'm not going to consult the media. I'm not going to watch, you know, to see if I can go call somebody up and say, hey, can you tell me about the future? 
I already know what's going to happen in the future. The Bible expressly tells us what's going to happen in the last days. There's going to be famine and pestilence, disease. There are going to be wars and rumors of wars. By the way, those are the words of Jesus. The things that we're going through right now, there's going to be a falling away, the words of the Apostle Paul. People are going to be lovers of themselves instead of lovers of God. You see, the Bible's already told us what the world's going to look like right before the Lord comes for his church. And I think we're pretty close to those days. So the question is, where are you with the Savior? What are you doing? Do you have faith in you that works? Because if you want to have victory over death itself, which you can have, by the way, because the Bible plainly says there in Ephesians 2, you used to be dead without Christ in your trespasses and sins, but he has made us alive together with Christ because grace has saved us. Or in verses 1 through 6, the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, all you got to do is go look at that. Look, there was, a, there was a rumor reported about Jesus that he went throughout all of Judea, verse 17 says, throughout all the region. Jesus is speaking to you right now. And if you're a believer, are you walking in faith? Do you rest and trust in what Jesus has said to you? Because you should. Because God really does have this under control. He, he's not taken aback by the problems that we're facing right now. The faith that you have in him is more than sufficient for the day that we live in. Real faith is going to produce real works in you. You were already dead. But you've been made alive. You can no longer be killed, church. Oh yeah, your physical body can die. But that's the end of the pain and the suffering and the beginning of glory. That's very different, isn't it? You see, sometimes we look at this life like this is all there is. And it's not. Matter of fact, this world is not actually my home. I've been created anew in Christ Jesus and I have a mansion that's waiting for me in heaven and I can't wait for the initial walkthrough. I don't know how many of you have had the privilege of walking through a, a brand new house and going, wow, someday. Someday, this is all gonna be ours. But it's coming, church. The Lord's gonna come get us and we're gonna go home. If you have Jesus, whether you're the centurion worrying about his servant, whether you're the widow worrying about the son, whether you're the crowd that was worrying whether Jesus was going to be able to do anything about anything, the same exact counsel goes to everyone. Jesus in John chapter 11, there in verse 25, said, I am the resurrection, and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may, though he surely, for the most part, for most of us, shall die, he, she, we, who believe in the Lord, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me, Jesus said, shall never die. Die. 
And then he said to the disciples, he said to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, ultimately, who he would raise from the dead, do you believe this? That's faith that works. That's the faith that was in work, working through, working out, being seen by everybody in the life of the centurion. No doubt his servant could make the case, man, I was deathly ill, but I was made instantaneously well. That mom that had no husband had the one son she did have returned to her and she could say, my son was gone, but my savior raised him. That's who we serve, church. We serve a great and awesome God. We're gonna be able to get back together, I believe, soon. And in the meantime, take that faith that you have and let it be faith that is able, faith that works, faith that trusts, faith that rests, because the one true king that saved us has got more than enough resources to take care of everything we face. Just as surely as he raised up Lazarus, just as surely as he raised up this young man at Nain, as surely as he raised up Jairus' daughter, surely we too shall be raised one day. You can trust him on that. Amen. If you need prayer, if you're online, you've joined us, we have pastors available right now to pray with you. Whether you need to receive Christ or you have a prayer request, you just want someone to pray or you have a question, please avail yourself of that wonderful technology to connect with somebody personally. And for us, let's rest in our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the time that we have to connect virtually here. Still as a church, Lord, the church has not fallen apart. The church hasn't disappeared. We aren't being kept from meeting in any way, shape, or form. We're meeting right now because the same spirit that binds us together when we're in this building binds us together when we're apart. Our prayers reach heaven, whether we can actually physically go there or not. And so, Lord, we just simply ask that you'd make this time of separation short for those that are hurting today, those that are wondering today, those that are lacking faith today, exactly what you, Jesus, prayed for the disciples. We pray for ourselves, Lord, increase our faith. Help us to walk in it. We ask these things in the mighty name of our Savior and our soon coming King, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.